Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. In this episode, we talk with Drifter, Molly, and Michelle about what it means to serve others in recovery. Three million people die each year from alcohol alone, and we often find that the best person to help an alcoholic is another alcoholic. We talk about the different ways we felt drawn to help and support others in both individual settings and in more public settings. We explore many different ways that anyone can go about serving. That service doesn't have to be huge and public to be truly meaningful and helpful. And we talk about the ways that our service to others has helped our own recovery journeys. I just want to mention, Drifter refers to IAS several times. And I want to let our listeners know that he's talking about an app called I Am Sober, which of course can be downloaded from any app store. It's got a day counter and also has a community feature where you can connect with others also in recovery. We're not being paid to talk about them, but it is a resource that many of us have found helpful. Remember that every time you hit like, or especially subscribe or follow. It lets the podcast platforms know that you think we've shared valuable content here. And other people that might benefit from our podcast will be more likely to see it. We are here tonight with Molly, Drifter, and Michelle. Thank you guys so much for being here. I'm going to have you guys just do some quick introductions. We'll start with Molly. Molly is back for, I think, the third episode with us because she is that amazing and she's also a friend of ours from the i am sober app community molly do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself yeah first of all it's so great to see you guys thank you for having me back again i always love coming on with you yeah my name is molly in about a month i will hit two years sober i am 34 years old uh right now i'm living in maine but i travel for work so i relocate every three to six months so mostly i live in florida when i'm not traveling (laughs) but i i really enjoy the freedom and you know peace that my my traveling gives me and i can only do this because i'm sober so i'm very passionate about everything sobriety related which is why so thanks for awesome thank you for being here Next, we have Michelle. Michelle is known as the Sobriety Playbook on both Instagram and YouTube. How are you tonight, Michelle? I'm doing really well, you guys. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my sobriety date is August 8th of 2019. So I got sober just right before the pandemic hit. I got sober when I was 39 years old. And... Just a little bit of background on my story. I was in active alcoholism and drug addiction for 25 years. So from the time that I was 14 until I was 39 years old, I started off smoking weed, did all the drugs in the world, and alcohol was definitely what began my entire addiction. So when I got sober, you know, one of my teachers taught me the best way to learn is to teach what I've taught you because if you can't teach what you're learning that means that you do not understand what it is i'm trying to communicate so i started a youtube channel 
two years ago. It's called the Sobriety Playbook. And so that's that started as a way of me ensuring that I was learning all the lessons that he was teaching me. But then it transformed into a place where I could start to share my experience with other people so that they know that they're not alone on this journey, that if they've been in active addiction or alcohol addiction or food addiction or whatever it is, that there is a way out. So I'm just there to to just show people that they're not alone, basically. That is awesome. Thank you so much for having the courage to do that. It takes a lot. <laughs> I appreciate it. And last but not least, we have Drifter. And Drifter is the owner and host of Sobertown Podcast. How are you tonight, Drifter? Boom, boom, boom. I am good. I am feeling really good. Thank you guys for bringing me on. This is the first podcast I've done outside Sobertown. So that's really cool to be with you guys for this first podcast. Awesome. I'll do a little bit of backstory too, because I was sober for nine years. I got out of prison and well, I w went into prison in 2002 and that's where I count my time. And I got out in 2004, but I was sober for nine years. And then my brother died and I started drinking again and it took me nine more years to get sober. Right. And then, you know, my brother, when he was alive, him and I always through our lives have been trying to get sober together. And all I wanted to do the last three years of my addiction was get sober so I could get back in the fight against addiction. And I really thought I was going to end up getting back into churches and stuff. That That's how I had been sober before. And then, you know, with COVID, all of that was just closed off. And then I stumbled over, you know, this button on, on Podbeam, the podcast that I was listening to, and it said record here. And and that's how Sobertown Podcast started. And that's how I got back into the fight to fight addiction. And from there, we've created SobertownPodcast.com. We have tons of tools and resources to help people get sober. And we're just trying to bring so many things under one umbrella. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. You have a lot of tenacity sticking with it the way that you have and doing what you have. So I really admire that about you. Thank you. And for our listeners, we are going to include links to everybody's Instagram and YouTube and website and podcast. So if you want to get to know our guests a little bit better, you can check out the show notes and find links for everything there. So to introduce our topic for tonight, as we make our way through recovery, many of us feel drawn to serve others in the recovery community. There are a lot of different ways that we do this, from counseling or mentoring other people. Sometimes we write sober articles, hosting meetings, and even appearing on podcasts. In what ways have you felt drawn to serve others? How has it affected your life and your recovery? And what, why do you think it's an important part of recovery to serve other people in the recovery community? Anybody is welcome to start. And we'll just dive into a conversation. I go back to what I heard Michelle say earlier about teaching and how it, you know, it helps you understand a subject more when you're able to pass it along to another person. And I think that's essentially what serving others is, is you passing along 
you know, your knowledge, your interpretation of how things work and how you have gotten through a situation and saying like, hey, you know, it's okay that you feel this way. In my personal circumstance, like I had a lot of trouble and I still do like just simply validating my own emotions. <laughs> just so I just need someone to tell me like, you're allowed to feel this way. You're not crazy. You're not stupid. You're not wrong. You're not too much. You're not too little, you know, like how I feel is acceptable because it's me. And I think in a community and when you, when you talk through things with people, you get that because someone's like, oh yeah, like I totally understand how you're feeling and I can relate to that. And you just, you feel like you're not alone, you know? And I, I know for me personally, and a lot of people I've talked to and in recovery it's the loneliness and the shame that really keeps you there it really that's like the shame and the isolation are the two things that are like the killers of sobriety and people in general i mean you know i, I forget the exact number but there's like hundreds of thousands of people that die just from alcoholism every year and it's largely because they don't feel like they're worthy of feeling good you know so yeah, I think if you're able to to pass along the things that you've learned in like a helpful, constructive way, then that's also teaching you and <laughs> like you're learning while you're helping other people learn. Kind of reinforces what you've you've learned when you start sharing it with someone else, I think. I know that I've I'm really good at telling other people things that I need to hear. There are things, you know, and like you said, with validating feelings and emotions, I don't have a hard time doing that with other people. But sometimes it, it's so hard for me to do for myself. Sometimes it's good to hear myself say things to other people and realize that I need to take that a little bit more inside than I have in the past. Right. Yeah. One thing that, that you had just mentioned, Julie, is that it's important to to try to take our own advice, right? It's easier for us to give out advice to people. So once uh, recently, one of my friends said, hey, Michelle, have you ever thought whenever you're going through something that's challenging emotionally, spiritually, or whatever, have you ever considered to maybe go into meditation and sit a chair down, sit in a chair, sit a chair right in front of you and put yourself in front of it and face yourself with that problem and say, what would I give myself? What type of advice would I give myself in that situation? And I have that conversation and take my own advice in that way. It, it just gives me an opportunity to really think about what it is I would share with someone else in that situation. And it gives me an opportunity to, to really just sit there and do some introspection about what it is I've been sharing with others and give me the opportunity to look at it from a different perspective. That is a really great idea. I have never heard that before, but I think that is absolutely brilliant. You know how in recovery meetings, they tell us selfishness and self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles. So for me, I can either stay in service to self, which is very egotistical, very selfish, very self-serving, or I can make the decision to be in service to other people. I can hold on to the knowledge that I've attained in my sobriety, all the wisdom that I've accrued, 
and keep it to myself and focus on my path and the things that I want to achieve, or I can use that wisdom to help other people. What I've noticed is that whenever I first got sober, I was experiencing so much depression, right? What I've realized in my sobriety is that the opposite of depression is expression. When I first got sober, my voice would shake. Nobody could understand what I was saying. I was so terrified to share my point of view with anyone. I had so much self-doubt. I had so much shame and guilt about my past 25 years that I didn't feel like I deserved to be heard. So whenever I got sober and I realized how much value there was in being in service to others, expressing myself and helping others that are just beginning this path of sobriety, I found that being of service brought me to life because there was connection. Because whenever I was in active drug addiction and alcoholism, I completely isolated myself from people. So when I got sober, my sponsor taught me, Michelle, do the opposite of what your mind tells you. If it tells you not to go to a meeting, go to a meeting. If it tells you call into work today, go to work. If it tells you do not go and do service work today, go do service work. So I've just found that being in service has helped transform me in such a way that I never thought would be possible. And at the same time, it's transforming the lives of the people around me, even though at the beginning, that wasn't what my intention was. My intention was just like, I need to get sober. I want to stay sober. Sponsor, I'm going to do whatever it is that you tell me to do. It shifted and it turned into like this whole entire community of sober people that I never would have imagined would be able to be in the same room together. And there's just like so much connection and so much love and so much humility. I just feel so grateful to be part of this sober tribe. <laughs> it's a revolution. It's a revolution. <laughs> so I was thinking about this, Steve, when you brought it up and I was kind of driving today and I'm in my truck right now. <laughs> my, my own little studio in a it's semi, awesome. right? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So... I was thinking about this today and I found this out through IAS because I've been trying to get sober for over 40 years. I, you know, I went back through when my mom put me in my first 12 step meeting, I think it was 1974. That's a long friggin' time ago, you guys in and out of prison jails and rehabs, three inpatient rehabs. And I could never get it. And, and, for the first time in my life, I've, I'm really getting it, and I found it in IAS. And it started off by me showing up every day on that app, and nobody knew who I was. I showed up and I shared, mm -hmm. and then I commented. That's where I first started learning how to give back. For me, this whole journey started really for the first time in my life, life and I'm almost 60 years old, is on the IAS app, showing up, hosting, and commenting. And I think that's, we can learn how to give back just right with the basics by just showing up. 
that was yeah that was like in early sobriety i downloaded that app on day six in early sobriety that was the most fulfilling thing i was doing sitting at home during the pandemic it was the most fulfilling thing i would read what somebody else someone else had to say about their day or whatever that might have been the challenge that they were facing the whatever that was my sponsor at the time planted the seed and suggested i journal and i had no idea i couldn't write my way out of a wet paper bag let alone anything else but like two days later i turned around and i wrote down how i felt it was there was freedom in that and then what happened was as other people caught on molly was one of the first ones uh that kind of ended up following the rest of my my posts on that app are my journal entries they that's exactly what they turned out being so as vulnerable as they were it allowed me to read what other people were writing and then this is kind of you guys brought up the wisdom sharing your own experiences with someone else when they share theirs and you find something that's super relatable and then you can share something vulnerable with it and then find the wisdom inside of that connection that is absolutely fulfilling and then you end up with friendships that kind of blow everything out of the water when you have it's just completely unexpected well it's what's really cool about all of that is you know all these years trying to get sober i never was able to really plug into like a sober crew Mm-hmm. If, like, I remember one time being picked off the streets and taken into a rehab, these guys had years. I couldn't even relate to what they were saying. I get thrown into a rehab. It's what I found on IAS. I was around people with the same timeline as me. We all mm-hmm. were starting out at day zero, and we were learning from other people right around our timeline. I remember there was this lady running around yelling about Annie Grace and this naked mind and I'm like, what the hell is that? I've never heard of any of that. Cognitive dissonance? What is that? And so I was learning from my peers by showing up and them showing up. Mm-hmm. I was learning by my peers. And I think that's where all this, we don't have to show up really big in the beginning. We can just mm-hmm. show up. I think that is key to realize that serving other people or getting outside of yourself doesn't have to mean hosting a podcast, writing a book, blasting your face and your story all over YouTube. For me, when I started out, I like Drifter said earlier, I was afraid to turn my camera on in a meeting because I was just drowning in so much shame and humiliation over the point that I had gotten to. So the idea of ever serving others or however we want to put that, that was terrifying to me. And it turns out the the first, like the, the easiest thing that anybody can do is just share a little bit of their story. And you can, especially nowadays with the internet, you can do that from behind a username and it still benefits probably more people than you'll know, whether it's, you know, posting on an app or I know there's, there's Reddit and there's Facebook groups and there's all these different places. 
And the very first step is just, I mean, that that's what serving others is in recovery, I think, is just the willingness to share your story and share your experiences so others can gain from that, whether it's gain a little bit of wisdom or even just hope. And I think that's where if you had said to me at 30 or 60 or 90 days that at some point it's really good for you to serve other people in your recovery, like it's a really important part of recovery for me. I would have been terrified, but to realize that it can be so small and it can just be one other person that you just have a conversation with, just sharing yourself and being a little bit vulnerable goes a really long way in in that type of fulfillment. Oh, I think too, um, as I talked to more people in the community and, you know, got to know, I mean, because there's all types in sobriety, like it's the great equalizer. Addiction is the great equalizer. It affects everyone, no matter your wealth, what you do for a job, like where you've been, your childhood, you know, all of that stuff. And I think I knew that, but, you know, as you actually experience it and you talk to more people and you go to meetings and like, I didn't do a you know, in, like any in-person meetings, because <laughs> I mean, I joined IAS in June of 2020. So it was like, you know, as the pandemic was ramping up. But for me too, like I, I had to eventually come to terms that I kind of view and have an opinion on service that's a little different than some people, because like, I, I'm a frontline healthcare worker. And I, you know, I've, I've spent the last 12 years of my career um, in mostly emergency medicine and I you know I come home from work and I am like drained like emotionally drained and that's one of the reasons that I would drink a lot right because I would just like see some really awful shit you know during my shift and I would not know how to handle it because I had this obsessive need to never be a burden to people so I would just drink to kind of numb my emotions so that I didn't have to bother anyone with them like that was that was my thought process that looped around itself. But like, so I mean, service is ingrained in me. It's a biological need almost. Like it's why I chose to do what I do because I, I understand at a very like primal level that everyone needs help. Like, and everyone's going to have an accident or you're going to get sick and you're not going to know what to do. And serving, I guess I didn't realize like, I get a lot out of my job. Like I get a lot of kind of perspective and I get a lot of wisdom. And I didn't realize that I could do that in a sober community too, you know? Like I didn't realize that I could kind of translate those two things, but I also had to honor myself and be like not so hard on myself to where I felt obligated to always be helping people. I had to be able to turn off at some point, you know? Because like everyone's sober here and like, this is such a great subject because you can overdo anything. You can overdo service to the point yep. where you're burnt out. You just can't function and you just turn off, you know? And I realized that because there was points when I, I was serving people for 12 hours shift and then I would come home and I would talk endlessly about sobriety with other people. And I would be like, why am I so drained and tired? Like this is things that should be filling my cup, you know? And most of the time they do, but I had to tell myself, like, it's okay to not always be on and not always be in that mindset of like, I have to talk about sobriety. I have to do this. I have to do that. Like I have to, at least at this point, like nearing two years, I'm 
really just trying to enjoy the things that I like again. <laughs> like I'm really trying to, I'm, I'm becoming a little kid again. I'm like finding joy in little things that I used to do all the time that I didn't even realize that I wasn't doing for years because I was drinking, you know? And so I'm telling myself, it's like, it's okay to just step back and like marvel at life and not have to engage and always be like, you know, who can I help today? Right. But at the same time, you don't want to do too little and lose all your connection. So for me, it's, it's like a constant balance that I'm trying to find. Like with anything, you have to have boundaries there. Yep. Exactly. Good word. <laughs> boundaries. Yeah, I've I've hit a wall where I've had to pull back because I was just there was given too much of myself. But we we can hit that wall. We can't overdo it for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Molly brought up a really important topic. Something that I keep continuously getting reminded over and over and over, and that's balance you know and um i learned that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our troubles what my addictive mind said to me was okay so if selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of your troubles that means you need to serve everybody and do everything for everybody no matter the way that you feel just do it like because you don't want to go back to addiction that's for sure right people instilled like this fear of relapse. And if I relapsed, I was going to die. So I was like, okay, I need to do all the service work possible. But I didn't realize that self-care was a service work that I needed to do for myself. Yeah, I didn't realize that being, that doing self-care was not being selfish. Mm -hmm. I was so scared that if I decided to focus any amount of time on myself that I was going to eventually relapse. I needed to let go of that idea because in reality, prior to getting sober, I never knew how to appropriately do self-care. I did not know how to meditate. Um, I did not know how to pray. I did not know how to be in silence. I didn't know what introspection was. I didn't know how to be in my own presence without being distracted by my thoughts. I love service work so much, but I've always had this type of personality that was like all or nothing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it just goes to show, it's just like, I, I did all of the drugs in the world. If you put a drug in front of me, I, I did it for like years and years and years. Like I, I put all of my energy into it. Like I don't know what moderation is. In sobriety, I had to learn like how to be in service to others and how to serve myself and to notice whenever my body starts to show me signs of like illness. Like maybe I need to step back a little. Maybe I need to develop boundaries. I didn't know what a boundary was before I got sober. I literally did not know what the definition was. No doubt, I said, eh? Yeah. I said just no doubt. Like, I, oh, I, I just know what you mean. Every time you just, I didn't know what a boundary was. Now, what the fuck were boundaries? <laughs> I, I didn't even no. know what the boundary Just get was. like walked all over whenever. Oh, just, sure. Just. Or even setting story. boundaries. I didn't yeah. even know how to set boundaries. So yeah, yeah. And I was that type of person. Like if if I set a boundary, then I would be like, well, you know what? 
I didn't really mean it. Like, it's okay for you to just step all over my boundaries. And then I taught people how to treat me. So it's just like, one of the things I had to learn was when I set a boundary to keep my word to myself, because if I step back and allowed somebody to walk past that boundary or step over that boundary, then I started to have a resentment against myself. And then I started to project my frustration towards other people. And then I would start to focus on being angry at them rather than taking personal responsibility because I didn't realize I was mad at myself this entire time. Yep. Talk talk about self-care, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just basically... I mean, it sounds selfish, but you're protecting yourself in a very, in a very serious, in a, a very honest way. For, for me, I remember, like, even when you go to meetings and you show up, you're already there in service to other people. Just allowing uh, your face to be seen, saying hi to a friendly face. Sometimes that's all somebody else needs is to see a friendly face. You don't know what somebody else is going through that day, let alone yourself. If when you're feeling bad, like you, like you said, Michelle, you know, don't, my head's telling me I don't need to go to a meeting. Then you go to a meeting. I remember the first time I was kind of asked to be of, I wasn't even asked to be of service. It was like a gut feel I had and it was it was hosting a meeting. It was to host a meeting, and it was a gut feel that I had, and it was like it was super scary for me. Uh, sure, I could be vulnerable. Sure, I can you know I gotta pick a topic. I gotta own all of this, and I gotta run this meeting. But inside my in like I I followed my gut. My gut said, you know what, just do it. And then I had to ask a friend, Molly. Um, how do I do this? And then, and then, uh, and then, so she told me, and it was basically you pick a topic and then you host it. And I was like, oh, yay. So that's, that's how it happened. Like one of the questions we ask is, you know, in what ways have you felt drawn to serve others? And that, that one I think was one where, it was a, it was my gut that was just telling me i i think you're ready to do this you're ready to take this sleep you're ready to stand in front of a group of people and you're ready to to pick a topic that hits you steve in your in your heart that's relevant to you that you think might be relevant to other people and and have a real honest conversation about and hopefully that piece of you that you're sharing help somebody else and then in those breakout rooms you know all you're doing is hoping for those people that are there that they have a good breakout room and then they have good conversations with each other and that everybody really has an enjoyable experience i mean that was that's something that's near and dear to my heart when i host a meeting i i put my heart and soul into the topic and how i present it and it meant a lot to me when I started it. And it's kind of crazy how it helps me a lot just to do that. Like it's not just in service to everybody else. It's almost in service to myself because I get to selfishly pick my own topic. And it's something that that is a burning issue for myself. And I, now I get the pleasure of listening to, 
the wisdom of a whole bunch of other people. And I get to benefit from that too. So like, it's just a win-win all the way around. And I can't tell you how many times I go to a meeting and when I leave the meeting, I'm a lot more invigorated than I was when I started, when I got there. <laughs> you know, it's been really cool for me to be in a place where I've been able to, well, everybody but Michelle, because I'm just meeting you, Michelle, but I can imagine it's kind of the same way. I've watched so many people just evolve from posting, commenting, Molly, you telling your story. The Zooms for a lot of you guys have just been incredible, you know, to where it's really transformed your lives, these Zooms. And okay. it's just been amazing to see the progression where, like with you, Julie, not even wanting to show your face. And when you did, you just busted out crying, right? It was just, there was so much friggin' emotion that we didn't even know how to manage at that time. And then here we are, we're growing and sharing what's going on with us. We're learning our emotions, our boundaries, all these other different things. But, you know, one of the biggest things for me that drives me, you guys, to give back, well, number one, it killed my brother. That pissed me off. I'm I'm at war with addiction. Fuck alcohol. Fuck addiction. The mind is so tricky. It's still trying to trick me to drink to this day. Right? This pre-retirement mode. Oh, get a pontoon boat. And I'm seeing myself drink a beer. And what the hell? My mind is my worst enemy. But one of the biggest things that drives me is in my addiction, I knew I was spiritually dead. I was a dead man walking. I was alive, but I was dead. I knew it and there was not a damn thing I could do about it. And giving back restores my soul. Mm -hmm. It gets out of everything that does by helping other people try to find something that works for them. I just want to keep giving it away. How do you keep something? Because I was dead. Now I'm alive. How do you keep that for yourself? Right? You can't. It's like, here, go get some of this. So, Boom, that's my part. <laughs> I think one thing that I noticed um, and that I was thinking about with this topic is it's really easy for me to fall into like resenting my addiction and you fall into the why me and poor me and why do I have to be the one with this problem? Why are there normal people and why can't I be like that? And connecting with others and serving others and helping others kind of makes me resent it less like it gives me something to give to other people it gives me an opportunity to make a difference that I wouldn't have otherwise so I guess in some ways it's it makes it easier to resent my addiction less if that makes sense yeah it does and also Molly it kills three million people a year that's alcohol yeah alcohol alone that's not that's not the drug and you put all the drugs together that's only that's 600,000 people there a year alcohol alone is is three million yeah that's and, that's when I look back like one of the most messed up parts about my my personal addiction and my journey was that like I couldn't ever claim ignorance you know I mean I in my job I look inside of people for a living and I I have seen on 
like on the scans that I do, end stage alcoholics and how it turns your insides into an inflamed mess and you die a slow, incredibly painful death. Like I have seen that firsthand more times than I can count. And like my addiction was so powerful in my brain that I would see that and it would immediately say, you're not that bad. You can go home and drink. And so there was a little like tiny voice underneath all of that that would say like, you're going to end up like that. You know you are, you know, but it, it was just, it was so quiet and so just didn't like demeaned and so downtrodden that I just, it was so easy to ignore. And I, I realized that it was there the whole time, you know, like, I think we all kind of had that voice in the back of our heads, like during the worst of it, like we inherently understood the wrongness of our actions. It's just, we didn't listen to ourselves and once you kind of honor that side of yourself is when things at least started to really change directions is because that's the part of me that wants me <laughs> to to live and be healthy and not end up like that and another big thing for me too was realizing that's you know i, I had this kind of notion of boring that life was going to be boring if i didn't drink and really what it was, was that I was so used to highs and lows and never just a middle ground about my emotions, about my day, about anything. And, you know, when you're used to that mount, like climbing mountains and going down them all the time, like walking on level land feels boring, right? But it's actually like peaceful and way easier on your body. And you're not like exerting yourself and breathing hard and like, wow, this is really terrible. Why did I do this? You know? So realizing like boring actually kind of means peaceful, that was a big deal for me. And, you know, in the beginning, doing service work gave me that peace. It was like an outlet. It brought me that kind of just end of the day, like I did something positive for myself today and maybe someone else. Who knows <laughs> if it didn't land? Because there's been a lot of stuff that I did that didn't land well, because turns out like... <laughs> Sometimes the things that you want to hear is what everyone else wants to hear. And that's okay. Like, you're not going to be for everyone all the time. And if it gets good, cool. If it doesn't, cool. But you know, at least you tried. <laughs> right. Well, we're gro we're growing through that, too. And some of the growth is pretty uncomfortable. And for me, at times, it's been really embarrassing. And that's all part of growing. And then once I learned from those experiences... Hey, this isn't who I want to be. Then once I learned to process what was going on, I was able to go back and share with others. Yeah, one thing that I wanted to to comment on, thank you, Molly, for everything that you just shared, because what it brought up for me was one of the reasons why I ran into the arms of addiction was because my intuition used to be so loud for me. It used to constantly like tell me, don't do this, don't do that. Like, you know better than this, you know better than that. But whenever I would ingest alcohol or any other mind-altering substance, it turned into this still small voice that I could barely hear. It was like fainter than a whisper for me. And it just made me uh, feel like it was easier for me to act on that shadow self, the dark side, the part that I wanted to ignore. But that dark side felt better for me. I felt more comfortable being in the dark because people couldn't see my behavior, if that makes any sense. So the more and more I got sober, 
I started to hear like those intuitive thoughts, make those intuitive decisions and relax and take it easy and not struggle so much throughout the day because I was following that, if you want to call it like your higher self, the higher path. So I'm just grateful that now I'm more secure in being a person that is more comfortable with being in the light. I don't feel afraid and ashamed of myself to where I have to hide in the darkness. It's like the light can be shining on me and it's okay because I'm being honest and open-minded and willing and vulnerable. And I'm willing to like wear my scars everywhere and not pretend like I'm this perfect person. And hopefully like other people can see like, it's okay if you're not perfect, you can still get sober. There is a way out. Like there is hope, you know? Michelle, like you were saying there, vulnerability. I think that right there, it just takes the darkness away. Once once you share those scars that you're talking about and put those out in the light, it's only a matter of time for someone to say, I have the same scar. Yeah. I want to say thank you, Drifter. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you, Molly, for joining us tonight. It's been a real pleasure to have all three of you on. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for everything you've shared. We really appreciate you. We'd also like to thank our listeners for sharing space with us. Remember to subscribe or follow to keep getting new content. And if you have any comments or topic suggestions, email us at throughtheglassrecovery at gmail.com. We'll see you next time as we continue to explore life on the other side of alcohol.